Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. And I'm Ben. And I'm Chris. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing what Labour's win in the Rutherglen by-election means, both for the future of Labour and for Scotland. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me down the line, I have Ben Walker, our senior data journalist, and Chris Deering, our Scotland editor. So just for some context for our listeners who may need a reminder, the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election came about because Margaret Ferrier, the seat's former SNP MP, broke COVID rules by not self-isolating when she was experiencing symptoms and travelled from Westminster by train back home knowing she'd tested positive. She was unseated by a recall petition earlier this year, and that's how the by-election came about. Now, the results are in. The swing to Labour was higher than expected at 20.4%, with the SNP's support plummeting and the Conservatives losing their deposit. Michael Shanks, the Labour candidate, now the new Labour MP for the seat, has a majority of over 9,000. Ben, you've been looking at the numbers in this by-election for a while now. What do you think their significance is? Thank you for having me. This is... uh... This this was this was significant in a way uh, perhaps we didn't expect. So so okay. So the the thing with Rutherglen and Hamilton West is uh, it's voted Labour before. It voted Labour under Jeremy Corbyn in twenty seventeen by admittedly tiny margin, but it still voted Labour. It's not the safest seat for the SNP amongst their what fifty or so seats that they have. But um, the swing we got last night, yesterday, the swing we got yesterday was on a scale that we just did not expect. So um, bear this in mind. The polls in Scotland are pointing to quite, quite a bit of a substantial Labour recovery. They, they're up from you know the, the mid-teens to 30-something percent now, and they're about a few points behind the SNP nationally throughout the whole of Scotland, right? This is over and above that. We expected Labour to come away with 48 percent to the SNP's 37 and what happened, as you probably can see, is they came away with 50, 58, 59% to the SNP's 27. So instead of a 10-point lead over the SNP, they got a 30-point lead. That's pretty big. That is a sizable result that if replicated throughout the whole of Scotland, you'll be looking at not Labour picking up not just 20 seats, not just 25, 30, but close to 40 to 50. We're, we're talking almost a recovery, a reversal of all we've seen over the past 10 years in Scottish politics. Um, which sounds a bit almost unbelievable. So it's a bit of a shocker. Yes, it's a by-election. Yes, it's a protest over the incumbent MP um, 
standing down. But I'll be honest with you, if you, if you ever if you remember when we had the Wakefield by-election or other by-elections when the MP was resigning for, you know, improper practice, it didn't often ever come up on the doorstep, really. So I, I think the idea that you can just explain this away to, you know, the conditions of the by-election, I don't think that works. I think this is sizable and what we saw. Um, was a sort of new narrative developing, which I, which I hope, just to, let me explain for one minute, is over the past year or so, when we've tried to explain away the rise of Labour, the surge of Labour and, uh, you know, the relative popularity of Keir Starmer, even though he's, it's all relative, a lot of it has been, you know, it's not Labour winning, it's the Tories losing. You know, it's more, it's more down Labour winning by default. It's more like Labour winning just because Tories are staying at home. That's what we've been seeing across England. What we're seeing now really is actually Labour picking up support from the other parties. So um, though SNP voter apathy helped bring this home to Labour, we also see SNP voters more than happy to transfer their support to Labour. And what we're seeing also, particularly in Scotland, is, and it happens in Scotland amongst unionist voters, it's a lot more fluid in Scotland than in England, is unionist voters more than happy to go en masse to Labour. So... Um, Think back to 2016, you know, Ruth Davidson, when she scored some impressive wins for, for the Scottish Tories, a lot of that came as a consequence of just Scottish Labour voters going to the Scottish Tories. Now we're seeing a major reversal of that, explains why the Scottish Tories lost their deposit in Rutherglen. But um, this is a combination of things. It's not just um, voter apathy of Labour's opponents. It's actually Labour netting new support. So it's pretty big. This is pretty big stuff. And it, and it just hammers home the point that there is a recovery. There is a change. In, in the mood in in Rutherglen, but I think I think the challenge now for the SNP is um, can they rally their base? Can they can they rally their base in time for the Westminster election? Because if not, they're looking at some pretty substantial losses. And Rutherglen is but one insight into how that could look. And uh, at the moment, it doesn't look like they can. But uh, again, when a general election comes, maybe things will turn out. Maybe the anti-Tory vote won't go to Labour on mass. We don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, I was in Rutherglen last week um, to sort of take the temperature on the ground. And it was really interesting that it really bore out what you just said, Ben. Um, a lot of people who declared themselves lifelong SNP voters, not just people who had been tempted towards the SNP in recent years, were telling me that they were going to switch to Labour. And there were all sorts of reasons for that. There was a lot of dissatisfaction with the sort of scandals that the SNP has been hit by very recently, but also the state of public services. And just that line is the only way to get the Tories out. It's the only way to get the Tories out. I heard that a lot. And, you know, that's one of Labour's campaign lines. So clearly that had cut through. But I also thought, you know, when I saw the result, I was quite surprised because a lot of people I spoke to very much were saying, oh, you know, I don't know how much difference it will make. They're all the same. Oh, SNP and Labour, they're not that different, are they? You know, and actually it looks like quite an emphatic, positive result for Labour, like you say, rather than just you know, the apathy of their opponents. And so I wonder if there's a bit of a shy Labour effect going on here. And um, I might be trying to look out for that in the other by-elections that we've got down down the line, which are, which are fairly soon. Um, but Chris, um, I mean, you're in Scotland. Tell us what the significance is of this victory to you. Yeah, I, I'm interested in the point you just made, Danish, um, about, about um, SNP voters going to Labour and the rest of it. It's worth pointing out that the turnout was pretty low. You know, it was under 40%. Um, so I think, as, as Ben touched on, there's a mix of things going on. There, there are clearly SNP voters probably at the softer end, but maybe some at the other end who are just who are just desperate to get the Tories out from Westminster and have accepted the argument that to do that, you're going to have to put Labour in. Um, soft SNP voters who 
find that argument a lot easier to buy. And then other SNP voters who are kind of fed up with everything that's going on. This is really the first time in Scotland where, I think as I've said before in this podcast, the national conversation is quite different to what goes on down south. You know, we have our own politics and our own debates based around the Scottish Parliament and, and obviously the dominance of the SNP. And this is the first time that anyone has really had a chance to pass judgment on a national level on everything Scottish politics has been through over the last six months or so, really since Nicola Sturgeon stood down. There's obviously Margaret Ferrier's particular circumstances, the, the COVID situation, which would have had a local impact. But, you know, we've had a very bitter leadership contest that followed uh, Sturgeon's resignation. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around where the SNP are going on independence. There's undoubtedly a rise in, uh, I think, the number of people slightly concerned about the state of public services after 16 years of SNP in government. And there is, of course, it being Scotland, a, a desire amongst lots of voters to get the Tories out at Westminster. And, you know, until the SNP's recent dominance, Labour was always the place that Scots went to do that. And Labour now, I think, is, is the safety valve for Scots within the union. You know, if the union is going to survive, then it's going to survive because the Labour Party get into power at Westminster and do things that Scots are happy with. And perhaps, as Labour would like to, can then move the argument on from the Constitution, you know, the endless debates over the Constitution. Labour would much rather have those conversations about public services, cost of living, uh, growth in the economy, etc. And it's been very, very difficult for them to cut through with that argument because people up here have largely been voting according to their constitutional preference. I think what we saw last night, and it's only one by-election, and, you know, there, there are lots of caveats to, to anything we say, but I think we saw last night a sense that yeah, it's a bit of a cliche, but the tectonic plates are starting to move in Scottish politics, that the era of uh, almost unthinking SNP dominance is drawing to an end. It may be even more severe than that, given the scale of Labour's victory, which, uh, you know, I, it, it, you know, does did take me by surprise, but, but also kind of not, because I think, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, the range of issues that the SNP have faced the police investigation, which is still ongoing, um, you know, so many other things, some of the things I mentioned, uh, has, has been so great that this is the first chance for people to come out and pass a judgment. And really, are you going to come out and vote for the SNP? And, you know, after everything we've been through over the past six months, you know, the 27.6% of the Hamilton and, and Rutherford uh, electorate did, but it's not that much of a surprise, really, is it, that people, and given the chance, came out and registered protest for lots of them, some of them looking ahead to the next general election. And I just want to pick up on, on something you said earlier, Anoush, which is the idea of a potentially shy Labour effect that we may have seen in Rutherglen. Um, it's possible, really. Um, and and I, as, as you said, I've never thought about it before. The thing is, favourability towards political party brands often leads to whether you're willing to talk about them, whether you're willing to identify with them. And, you know, for the past 10, seven or so years, the favourability towards um, Scottish Labour has been next to non-existent in Scotland. It's It's been pretty a low-key brand, partly because the leaders have been a bit bit wet and partly because, well, the if you want a, if you want the union choice, you go to the Tories, don't you? That's changed, that's different now. And Anasawa is actually proving one of the more, the more competent, capable Scottish Labour leaders in the eyes of voters as well. And I wonder if um, really given you know, voters in Scotland have had seven, eight years of not voting Labour. And the idea of coming back to them is quite, well, they've done it before, but seven, eight years of not doing it, they actually feel quite shy uh, when it when it, come, when it comes to the vote. And I, I do wonder that myself, really. Um, and, it, and it does, I think, um, suggest something maybe similar might be on its way in Mid-Bedfordshire. You know, in, in, in rural 
countryside constituencies that don't normally have a Labour campaign, that don't normally feature a candidate from that party, the idea of voting for them and declaring that they're voting for them is quite new. It could be quite exciting if the brand is popular, but it also could be quite could be something you don't want to talk about if in, indeed people are mixed about it. And the Labour brand is, I think, the most popular political party in the UK right now, but it's split. You know, people people like it, but they also hate it as well. So I think, I think the idea of a shy Labour effect, maybe, maybe, I don't know yet. And that's a by-election that we have coming up in two weeks' time, and we'll bring our own reporting from there. After the break, we'll be discussing how SNP losses could affect Hamza Youssef's plans for Scottish independence. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I was speaking to a sort of experienced Labour campaigner when I was out sort of following them around on the doorsteps in Rutherglen. And their calculation was there's a, core, a hard core 20% of voters in Scotland for whom independence is the issue and it's independence or nothing. And that's their priority. And while there may be many more who are in favour of independence, they're people who Labour can win over because it's not their priority right now. And I felt like um, that bore out when I spoke to the SNP candidate because I said, you know, how much is independence featuring in your in your campaign? And she said, oh, well, if people ask me to talk about it, I'll, I'll advocate for it, of course, because I'm an SNP politician. But she just, you know, she clearly didn't want to make a huge thing of it during our interview. And while Labour were accusing them of being hung up on the constitutional question, it didn't really feature that highly in their campaign. Their um, framing was more that they were the only progressive choice because Labour were following the kind of austerity lines of the Conservatives in England. So perhaps, you know, Perhaps the constitutional question at last may not be the motivating voting issue when we come to a general election. Do you get a sense of that, Chris? I, I do. Um, and I think that's posing a bit of a problem for Hamza Yusuf because he's really having to speak with, with two tongues, with a forked tongue, if you like. So he has to speak to his own movement um, and he has to convince them or is trying to convince that the independence is still coming. Um, you know, we've got SNP conference coming up in a couple of weeks and he will be speaking to the party then. and. He's been developing his own uh, strategy for independence following the de facto referendum mess, which happened after Nicola Sturgeon, uh, or during the, the, the final months of Nicola Sturgeon's reign, which he wanted to use the next general election as a de facto referendum on independence. If the SNP had won the majority of votes in Scotland, they wanted to begin negotiations to leave the United Kingdom. And during the leadership debate, there was a, a sort of settling, I think, between Hamza Yusuf and Kate Forbes, the two leading candidates, that actually, you know, that wasn't a particularly good idea. And in fact, what they had to do was do the hard work of getting support for independence up from the 47% that, that Ben mentioned to near 60% over a sustained period of time. So creating the idea of settled will of the Scottish people. And then at that point, it would become very hard to uh, to block a referendum from, from Westminster. But since Yusuf came in, 
he's sort of wandered around a little bit on it. And the position at the moment seems to be that actually worse than Sturgeon's position is more radical, which is at the next general election, if the SNP win more seats than any other Scottish party, they will begin separation negotiations. So they might lose 20 of their 40, whatever it is, seats, high 40 seats. Um, you know, they might lose a big chunk of their share of the vote. But their argument is, even with that happening, even with the loss of momentum, even with Labour on the rise, with Scottish voters deserting them, even if that happens, they would try to begin uh, negotiations to leave the United Kingdom. Now, how you do that around an empty table and who you're doing it on behalf of and what those negotiations might even be with presumably Keir Starmer is, is kind of hard to get your, your head around. So there's a, there's a credibility gap that's emerging there. And I think, you know, the smart people in the SNP know that. I think they know that the moment has gone for now. They're aware that the party is entering a stage of decline. It's had 16 years, nothing lasts forever. And, you know, they had a good bat at, uh, bash at it and it, they didn't quite get it over the line. And really they have to spend some time now figuring out what the, the next play is. And it can't just be the same thing over and over again. And it's certainly not, you know, winning one seat more than the Labour Party and got the general election and that's a mandate for independence. I mean, that's just crazy. So. I suspect if you are an SNP candidate or activist, what is the message you would be giving on independence? What's, what's the, where's the clarity that you could do that? And then, as you said, Anish, you know, voters in Scotland are the same as voters elsewhere. They're worried about the mortgages. They're worried about the heating bills. The cost of living crisis has been very dominant in, in all our lives. Um, you know, and the SNP's tried to do things about that. They've tried to tackle poverty, you know, child payment, uh, various other policies that they've brought in. But I think there is a sense maybe that, that they haven't really been focused on the economy. They're not all that interested in it, really. It's, it's not that they ignore it completely, but it's clearly not their main goal, their main goal of Scottish independence. And they're still talking about that pretty relentlessly, even at a time like this. So I think that makes it quite hard for SNP candidates and activists out on the doorstep to know exactly what the message is that they should be selling. Uh, whereas Labour candidates and activists will be going out and saying, right, let's talk about cost of living, let's talk about the economy, let's talk about public services. And as we touched on earlier, perhaps they're just finding that there's you know, greater sympathy amongst a, a larger share of the electorate than there has been before, including people who would have been tempted to vote SNP uh, at more recent elections. And what does it mean for Hamza Youssef's leadership? Because, I mean, he's I mean, he's had a pretty difficult time in his role so far. Nevertheless, Time magazine, I noticed, um, suggested that he was, I can't remember the wording now, I think he was something like the trailblazer. Trailblazer shaping the future, yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which he is, although maybe not in the direction that he particularly <laughs> wanted, given, given last night's result. It, it, you know, it's been a horrible time to be SNP leader. It's a real poison chalice at the moment, just because the timing of it, Everything we mentioned earlier, you know, Sturgeon's resignation. You've been, you've had Sturgeon and Salmond before, her, which you know, having two leaders in a row of that quality is really unusual for a political party. So I've got a third would have been freakish. Um, and I think for all that, Hamza Yusuf seems to be a nice guy, and I think his heart's in the right place. He, he, he certainly doesn't connect with the electorate in the way that, that those two did. He's not doing that yet. I don't think anyone expects him to. Um, but he's also had to manage, you know, the fallout from the end of the Sturgeon reign, which had passed a whole bunch of policies that weren't working, you know, our mind was off, off the game, even the bottle return scheme, alcohol advertising ban, national care services. You had to bring all of those things back in to Butte House and begin work over on them again because they weren't going to, to work in the way that was intended. And on top of that, you get the police investigation and the rest of it. So it's not, you know, it's, a, it's not a great time to have, to have taken over and I think anyone would have struggled. Nevertheless, I think, you know, Hamza Yusuf had his chance recently with his programme for government to really set his stamp on what a Yusuf government administration 
would look like. And the sense was, and this isn't just me talking, there's people in the SNP that I know as well, was that it was a kind of a missed opportunity. You know, there was a, some stuff on poverty, quite a lot of stuff in poverty, a bit of rhetoric around growth and, and being pro-business without really much to back it up. Nothing really on the NHS, which is, you know, I think for Scottish Labour, NHS and the economy will be the two big issues, certainly going into the 2026 holiday election. And there just wasn't a sense that he was grasping maybe enough of the issues that have begun to cause the SNP problems. He was doubling down on the things they you know, been known for in the past. And that's not that's not enough. Now they need to change. Another thing to, to bear in mind is that we expected Labour, because of the polls over the last year or so, to do well in Scotland at the next general election. How well was a matter of debate. They were thinking 2022, 20, maybe 24 seats. You know, on last night's swing, as, uh, as Ben said, you're looking at 40, 45 seats. I don't think anyone really expects that to be the case uh, when it comes to it. Nevertheless, um, I think there's a sort of the idea of the kind of cork coming out the bottle here and the pressure being released. Um, certainly, it feels a bit like what the, the scale of last night's swing might start to bring the Holyrood 2026 election into play for Labour. It always felt probably like a leap too far um, until now, and it may still still be, but I, I suspect an As Sarwar, who wants to be First Minister, is looking at what happened last night, looking at the momentum that might come from it looking at how well they might do in next year's general election, and then thinking, right, as a, as a launch pad into 2026, that, that election is now in play. And if we can build on what we can do at the general election, if we can build on the fact that there's Labour government at Westminster, of which hopefully, in his eyes, you know, Scots will be, at that point, still quite fresh and, and, and you know uh, sympathetic to, then the time for a change argument that's working so powerfully down south will also work up here because the SNP have been in government for longer than the Tories have been in government at uh, uh, Westminster. It'll be really interesting to just watch where it, it goes from here. You know, just is, is this the beginning of a rebalancing to something a bit more competitive, which would be good because it's been too one party for too long. I think whatever your political uh, positioning, or is it actually the sense that actually it's going to rebalance quite a radical way towards just the SNP out? You know, losing a huge number of seats at Westminster and then losing control at, uh, at Holyrood in 2026. Far too early to say that that would be the case, but it will be an interesting thing to watch develop over the next few years. That's really interesting. And I think if Scottish Labour do see themselves as competitive in that Holyrood election, what's going to be interesting to watch is their relationship with UK Labour. Because I remember when I interviewed Anas Sawa earlier this year, he said he'd said to Keir Starmer, you know, I need the Labour, if Labour gets in in 2024, I need them to be a good government that means that Scots turn out for us in 2026. And there has been a few policy divisions, particularly over sort of some so social justice issues between Scottish Labour and, and the National Labour Party. And I wonder if they will become, you know, a little bit more pronounced as Sawa sees, you know, the opportunity to become First Minister. So that might be something to watch out for as well. Well, there's, there's just quickly two things on that. One is that, you know, Scottish Labour will want the Labour government down south to do things for Scotland so that they can go into the Holyrood election saying, look at how well the Labour government at Westminster is working for Scotland. But also, I suspect Sarwell will want a couple of fights with Westminster, with a Labour government, because he wants the Scottish Labour Party to be seen as the Scottish Labour Party and not just the branch office jibe that is often thrown at them by by uh, the SNP especially. So, um, you know, there's a strategic or tactical calculation in there about when you're on side and when you cut loose a little bit for, you know, the sake of, of, of advantage. Yeah. And just lastly, Ben, um, I know that you shouldn't really extrapolate from one by-election what could happen on sort of the national picture. 
Um, but you know, Labour. When you speak to people within Labour, they're they're sort of reluctant to tell you how many seats they'd like to win in Scotland. But I think they were sort of calculating, oh, if we can get twenty, you know, that takes the pressure off us a bit in England. Could it actually be far more? Looking at the swing in this result. Yeah, to be honest, it is, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a bit um, interesting to see how how that how that plays out. Obviously, Scottish Labour, as you know, they've changed their logo. They're no longer following that boxed logo that 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 English Labour has had since uh, two thousand and five or thereabouts. So they they've made a visual break with the RUK Labour, rest of the UK Labour, and um, let's see if they campaign differently and act differently. And I always think I, I'm in two mindsets about how well Scottish Labour will do in Scotland in 2026. And it, and I think it comes down to, one, as, as you say, how well Westminster Labour does, and also um, if they're doing badly. Let's say, let's say Keir Starmer's Labour Party gets in, they're disappointed at the start, the polls for them just 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 collapse very, very markedly because, you know, I think the, the win next year for Labour is going to be big regardless. But let's say that happens, and, and you're probably going to have an SNP thinking, Okay, right. We can exploit this. Look what they're doing in Westminster. Don't let them do it here. But at the same time, you could also have, if Starmer's Labour get in um, and do okay to the point that they're a neutral effect, like like David Cameron's Tories in 2016, by the way, um, you, you could end up in a situation where Scottish Labour could campaign on a platform of you know get a government that works for, with Westminster, get a government that actually works, that gets the job done, and. Uh, you know, if you if you can go, if you can go on that, and if that actually resonates with voters, you've got somewhere. You've, you've definitely got somewhere. But but just to answer the the other question um, that Anush put about, like I said at the start, this 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 the scale of the Labour win in Motherland to yesterday was not what we expected. So Britain predicts, which I advertise all the time, which I recommend you Google always keep an eye out for because it's the only thing I've done that's really good so far. And um, what we had was a ten point. Labour lead in Rutherglen, which is based on the national polls of, you know, 37% SNP, 32% Labour. That's what that's what it's saying in Scotland. And the 10-point lead for Labour in Rutherglen was what was implied off that. To win by 30 points, you know, if you, if you, if you transpose that to the whole of Scotland, we're talking, yeah, like, like Chris says, 40 to 50 seats. But I don't think, like also Chris says, don't think it's going to happen because, look, there are tons of seats in the countryside that are just SNP versus Tory. And I don't know if you're going to see a huge, you know, a Labour comeback in those seats among those voters because, um, again, Labour is going to need to target its resources effectively. The SNP is not dead in the water. It's a vehicle capable of fighting, unlike the Conservatives. And and so you're going to have to be quite specific in where you target. And and so going into places like, you know, no, you know Perthshire or, or Aberdeenshire, I don't think that's a goer, even though that is a Tory seat. So I can imagine, to be honest with you, the SNP could see a really marked loss in Westminster seats. And you could see Labour come back in the central belt, go back around um, Edinburgh. You know, you could see Douglas Alexander come back in, in East Lothian. But you could also see the Tories actually hold on, you know, to a lot of their Scottish seats that nationally we would expect them, you know, to get blown, blown out in. Um, so, you know, the Scottish borders could still hold firm for the Tories because the um, antipathy felt towards the SNP is so great. But then again, you know, the antipathy felt towards the Tories is also quite as great. So we, so we don't really know yet, do we? Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, both of you. I'll let you both get on with your Friday. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us, which we'll be back with next week. 
If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Ben Walker and Chris Deeran. We'll be back next week with all the latest from the Labour Party conference in Liverpool. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.